It's safe to say that the fairy tale princess archetype has been reclaimed. Modern versions are a far cry from the stereotypical damsel in distress waiting for her prince. But what about Prince Charming himself? Has he been updated? I can't understand it. Modern stories that do involve a Prince Charming figure often don't bestow him with nearly as much interiority, agency, or complexity. A movie like Crazy Rich Asians might make the situation around its Prince Charming character Nick Yang more complicated, but the guy himself is still a little, well, blank. I met a girl. I fell in love, and I want to marry her." And if a newer movie does want to challenge the Prince Charming stereotype, they mostly resort to a different kind of boring, a predictably shallow doofus who's also sometimes evil. Or a quote, fixer-upper who the princess sees something in even though he's rough around the edges. Used once in a while, these twists can offer refreshing subversions of fairy tale tropes. But when all the Prince Charming character has to offer is yet another caricature of a human, it can make these supposedly subversive deconstructions just as predictable as their played two-dimensional counterparts. I've been dreaming. <laughs> so why hasn't the prince gotten the same updates as contemporary princesses? And could he ever become something more three-dimensional and interesting? Do people assume all your problems got solved because a big strong man showed up? Yes! What is up with that? Here's our take on the state of the modern Prince Charming trope and why it's just as important to make him as complex and real as the princess. The first time a viewer encounters a fairy tale or fairy tale satire can be a seminal moment in their media-watching life. After all, fairy tale stories are often an early fixture for young viewers. So this means that stories taking a more irreverent attitude toward fairy tale tropes, like in Shrek, Hoodwinked, or Enchanted, are often viewers' first exposure to the idea of genre parody, of comically subverting expectations in a way that might also make you think about the tropes you've absorbed. <laughs> like that's ever gonna happen. These kinds of parodies have been staples for years, from old Looney Tunes in the 30s and 40s, Come on, wake up, wake up, you lazy good-for-nothing! to the fractured fairy tale segments of Rocky and Bullwinkle in the 60s, to the many movies that spoof familiar characters at different levels, sometimes with affection and sometimes with a little more snark. Should it not be a wonderful, romantic moment? Yeah. Sorry, lady. Hey, and if you're going to spoof a fairy tale, it's only natural that the handsome, virtuous, personality-free Prince Charming becomes a major target. That's how the doofus prince emerged. As a reaction to the interchangeable blandness of non-characters like Prince Charming from Cinderella, Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty, or Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid, some especially clever spoofs have justified resorting to the doofus trope by insinuating that a prince of handsome lineage might have trouble relating to the plight of working people, that his privilege would make him both difficult to relate to as well as fairly gullible, conceited, dim-witted, or just plain ridiculous. You feel you die without me here. In the Stephen Sondheim musical Into the Woods, the handsome prince characters can only truly relate to each other and struggle to conceive that they'd ever have any relationship troubles. Am I not sensitive, clever, well-mannered? Frozen famously goes further by making their dashing dude's privilege lead him towards straight-up evil. Prince Hans isn't vain or ridiculous, but he turns out to be power-hungry, and the secret villain of the entire movie. Oh, Anna. If only there was someone out there who loved you. But over time, writers have leaned so heavily into these doofus who sometimes secretly evil spoofs that it's hard to find many sincere examples in multiple decades. Consider Prince Edward in the 2007 Disney movie Enchanted, a perfect encapsulation of what's both fun and reductive about the trope. I seek a beautiful girl. 
My other half, my one coquette. Edward is made to be a silly and even sympathetic prince. But why wasn't he allowed to go through any character development? More to the point, what was even really being spoofed by this point? When Enchanted came out, there were already three Shrek movies parodying fairy tale tropes. And here, Disney was making fun of a character type it hadn't actually used in years. Poor chipmunk. Speechless in my presence. Arguably, the writer's aim in spoofing a prince like Edward is to spotlight Giselle by making her the more complex of the two. Giselle, it's fair to say, did kick off a new era of complex Disney princesses who were consciously written to defy past patterns. Tiana, Rapunzel, Anna and Elsa, Moana, Raya. If you wear a dress and you have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. But it's a fallacy that making the princess more vivid or inspirational requires flattening out the other characters around her. While it's great that Disney has figured out how to tell stories that center on relatable young women, it's struggled to dimensionalize the heroic prince character in a similar way. These types of characters often remained either blandly idealized or cartoonishly pompous figures of mockery who obviously aren't a right fit for the lead princess character. Life is often so unpleasant, you must know that as a peasant. In other story examples, we can see that writers have also relied on another royal trope, the fixer-upper prince. Actually, Disney had already done the doofus versus the fixer-upper back in 1991. Beauty and the Beast contrasts strapping Gaston, the villainous doofus prince type, with the Beast, the true handsome prince who just needs a little, uh, work. He's a fixer-upper in that he needs to learn love, humility, and selflessness before he can win the heart of Belle, who is never remotely interested in Gaston's dumb jock cockiness. You know, there's not a girl in town who wouldn't love to be in your shoes. The fixer-upper is also used in Frozen as a counterpoint to the evil prince trope, while Hans, the seemingly perfect Prince Charming figure, is actually a conniving bad guy attempting to gain power by seducing Anna into a quick marriage. Kristoff, who is rougher around the edges, turns out to be Anna's real love interest. There is even a whole song joking about how Kristoff is a bit of a fixer-upper, listing his many off-putting qualities. He's just a bit of a fixer-upper. He's had a couple of bugs. Though, of course, to help make her a more complex female character, both princely interests end up being secondary to the bond she shares with her sister. Shrek features a similar reshuffling of expectations. The princess isn't a helpless damsel, and the true prince figure isn't who either the princess or the audience is supposed to expect. Instead, it's the big grumpy ogre, who doesn't always say the exact right thing. But through falling in love with Fiona, he becomes more tender, as his life becomes more fulfilled. In Bridgerton, Simon Bassett is an emotional fixer-upper. He's already baseline charming and desirable, so not in need of much outer fixing. But he must face his inner demons to embrace and respect his and Daphne's love for each other. Just because something is not perfect does not make it any less worthy of love. Still, as we've seen, the fixer-upper solution to the prince problem is, like the spoofed doofus, far from new and pretty played out by now. So what messages are they actually sending us? If you're still waiting for Prince Charming to swoop into your life and share his Netflix account with you, then chances are you're wasting your money on subscriptions. It's shocking, but 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about, like that Amazon Prime trial you forgot to cancel, or the Hulu account you haven't used since last year. If that made you want to rush to your account and check every outgoing payment, hold up. There's this great app I used that helps me track all of my expenses, and because of it, 
I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't even use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. It's so helpful. It groups your subscriptions together and even cancels whatever you don't want for you. The really eye-opening part for me was when Rocket Money found subscriptions I didn't know I was still paying for, and even one instance where I'd been double-charged for one. It's so easy to cancel through Rocket Money, too. They literally take care of everything for you, so it's a totally stress-free experience. And you'll start saving straight away. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash the take. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash the take. So far, these print spinoffs do convey worthwhile takeaways, but they're mostly warnings or lessons aimed strictly at female viewers, at least so far. The first worthwhile lesson we glean from the doofus or bad guy prints, that young women shouldn't spend their lives trying to impress a man or a partner to depend on, but instead focusing on herself. Frozen hammers home that we shouldn't get swept away by the first guy who mirrors our naive, sometimes Disney-based expectations of what the perfect Prince Charming looks like. You can't marry a man you just met. You can if it's true love. Anna, what do you know about true love? Elsa is even more independent and concerned with achieving her own satisfaction rather than tying it to a love interest. Later, Disney characters like Moana and Raya also bypass strapping prince types entirely, either because they have other concerns, like Moana, wayfinding. Lesson one. Or Raya, who is also somewhat queer-coded. Um, yeah, I might be a little bit of a dragon nerd. Hey, I'm the one wearing the Sisu fan necklace. Then again, sometimes this message, to always think independently and sideline the guy, falls a little flat. That's because it ignores a pretty prominent part of life, romantic relationships. Perhaps out of writers' fears of falling into the tired trap of solving all a woman's problems with a handsome prince. But as Akash Nicholas writes for The Atlantic in 2014, there is nothing wrong with girls or boys dreaming of Prince Charming, as long as it's not the only dream we give them. The second message we glean from the fixer-upper, that young women should accept guys who may not look look exactly like Prince Charming, but who reveal other positive attributes, even if they're hidden under a prickly exterior or sarcastic grumpiness. There's a lot more to ogres than people think. Ogres are like onions. The fixer-upper prince is also part of countless modern romantic comedies for more grown-up audiences. In 27 Dresses, for example, Jane must let go of the handsome guy she's hung up on and open herself up to a charming but more cynical guy who both challenges and appreciates her. And he's played by James Marsden, enchanted silly Prince Edward himself. These are the things that make up a life together. No. This is the useless crap that the $70 billion a year wedding industry has convinced us all that we have to have or we won't be happy. But again, there's a danger in this approach. After all, how much do these guys need to change? And how much do writers convey that it's the princesses who have to make them change? Whether it's the Beast's anger problems, Kristoff's being pretty harsh on Anna, or Tangled's Eugene putting on a cocky persona with attempts at thievery and deception. These guys tend to be pessimistic, if not misanthropic, and not always all that nice to their respective princesses. They require their love interest to do quite a bit of work to open them up, which can be an odd relationship model to hold up as inspiration. To be fair, the fixer-upper song in Frozen goes on to detail the ways in which Anna herself is a fixer-upper too, and to declare that everyone's a bit of a fixer-upper, concluding that the only thing that can fix us all up is true love. But the message that you should expect or wait for someone to fix the less desirable, unhealthy parts of your personality, an expectation often set up for male 
male characters or that you could be the one to change someone else, an expectation often set up for female characters, sounds like a recipe for disaster. Even with potential problems, both of these lessons can be worthwhile for young girls and even young audiences in general. But these stories also don't put much onus on the prince figures to do any character development. Rather, it's the women who have to be careful. Wait until the prince changes or try to change the prince. Queen's orders. She's named you the official Arendelle Ice Master and Deliverer. As a result, few of these stories offer useful guidance to boys or anyone in the audience who might look to the prince as a role model. There are some important exceptions to this. Prince Naveen from 2009's The Princess and the Frog, for instance, is handsome and charming, but also changes over the course of the movie, humbled by his experience as a transformed frog and his love for Tiana. I admit it was a charmed life until the day my parents cut me off and suddenly I, I realized I don't know how to do anything. And more recently, in 2020's and 2021's first two seasons of Bridgerton, both Simon and Antony need to face up to their own traumas, inherited misogyny, and self-destructive ways of thinking before they can really show up in relationships. I want a life that suits us both. I know I am imperfect, but I will humble myself. They're doing this work alongside their partners. Antony's love, Kate, especially, also needs to grow and learn more about herself to be ready for committed love, showing us that offering more dimensionalized male characters doesn't diminish or eliminate similarly well-rounded female characters, or any other character for that matter, quite the opposite. Nowadays, when studios who specialize in traditionally female-targeted entertainment, like fairy tales or romantic comedies, try to make more male-oriented stories, they shy away from Prince Charming types entirely. Disney's attempts to appeal to boys in the 2000s resulted in adventure stories like Atlantis or Treasure Planet, or coming-of-age stories like Brother Bear or Meet the Robinsons. Adult-oriented romantic comedies that assume a more male point of view, like The 40-Year-Old Virgin or Wedding Crashers, tend to focus more on male friendship and raunchy antics than they do on the dynamics of romance. Number one, stop being a pussy. Number two, make a move. Part of this is probably because both fairy tales and grown-up romances are often marketed as wish fulfillment for a female audience, especially princess movies for younger girls. But it hasn't really ever seemed like the handsome prince role has represented wish fulfillment for boys or men. Often, it's just an accessory to the princess fantasy. But don't you remember? We've met before. We, we have? Well, of course. You said so yourself. Once upon a dream. The problem with this is that it perpetuates a vicious cycle of gendering stories that often flatten characters along gendered lines, reinforcing a narrative that boys aren't supposed to care about finding themselves in romances or stories about self-development through love. This all works to glorify idealized versions of love that are fed to us through mysterious caricatures, instead of through relatable, complex people. That's why we need better, more responsible writing by what writer and social activist Bell Hooks called our society's image makers. So how can our image makers tell more responsible, handsome prince stories where the prince isn't just a vacant character accessory, a spoof, or a narrative trick. It will require adaptation and pressure on writers, just as it has for princesses and romantic heroines. The key may be to have something going on for our princes outside their dashing desirability. Hobbies, quirks, things that bring them joy, much like how most Disney princesses are no longer defined purely by romantic destiny, as well as have interests like Tiana's passion for cooking or Moana's love of seafaring. Yet, in Disney, 
Disney currently, having outside interests seems to take male characters out of the running of being a prince, like we see with Maui and Moana. So maybe we also need to think more broadly about what constitutes a prince-like character in the first place, a question that is even perplexing real-life monarchies today. We can think of the Disney versions of Hercules or Tarzan as de facto Disney princes, even though they aren't really defined that way, just as characters like Moana or Raya don't necessarily need to hold an official princess title to obviously belong in that group. People always do crazy things when they're in love. We can look back to 90s Disney princes like Aladdin and Simba, whose complicated relationships to class and ruling were examined with depth and sympathy. Or perhaps characters like Prince Edward in Enchanted or Nick Young in Crazy Rich Asians should no longer be conceived as either spoofs or approximations of a Prince Charming who doesn't really exist, and could instead be treated more like fleshed-out people than a type or plot device. Are you any last words before I dispatch you? Of course, young people of any gender can take lessons from the strong qualities of princess characters, so it's not as if every movie needs to center an especially complex or role model-esque male character. But why not make these characters better if you can? Putting well-written characters of any gender together will only strengthen them all further. The more complex the characters at the center of the story, the more earned the happily ever after will feel. Uh, forget about happily ever after, it doesn't exist. Well, of course it does! <gasps>